So I want to start this morning with some review. Let's start with some review from last week. On a lighter note, last week I happened to say that 2 plus 2 equals 2. I had many people come to me afterwards, text me later on and ask, uh, why did you, like, does 2 plus 2 really equal 2? Ava come, came yelling at me saying, Dad, 2 plus 2 equals 4. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it equals 4. Like, why are you telling me this? Supposedly, I said 2 plus 2 equals 2. Now, some of you think I have got it all to, I have it together so much that when I make such a mistake like that, that I had a really good reason. I was making some profound point. And you were thinking, like, what was the point he was making? I, he must have had a point. And you were racking your brains to understand what point. There was no point. I simply got a very basic math problem. Very, very wrong. Um, I think I was thinking like two or three steps ahead, and I just forgot that you got to really think about these things. Like when you say 2 plus 2 equals, you better have 4 on the other end of that. All right, so, so that's on a lighter note. I just want everyone to understand there was no point, and I just had that completely wrong, okay? Now, on a, on a more serious note, on a more serious note, last week we saw two things happening in Psalm 11. Remember, we're in a journey through the book of Psalms, and here soon we'll be taking a break into the Gospel of Luke. We're actually going to launch that series into Luke uh, in September, first Sunday in September. But last week, we're looking at Psalm 11, and two things jump out out of Psalm 11. That is, there's this contrast. David says, he will take refuge in the Lord. Okay? Take refuge in the Lord. And there was this other option. Maybe we call it a contrast. Like, what's the other option if, if not taking refuge in the Lord? And the other option was to flee, to escape, to run away on your own power. So two options, they really were put up against one another as a contrast. So in Psalm 11, there's a contrast. Either you take refuge in the Lord or you run away and do it in your own strength. In Psalm 12, that's where we're going this morning, Psalm 12, there's another contrast. There's another contrast. In Psalm 11, the other thing we saw was that David describes the foundations being destroyed. Literally looked out on society and probably in his own personal life and it looked like everything was crumbling. Literally, the foundations of society were crumbling. What we find in chapter 12, that is Psalm 12, is that we now see the scope of the destruction of those foundations. Actually, Psalm 12 gives more detail about what it looks like when the foundations begin to crumble. So in Psalm 12, we're looking out for a contrast, and we're looking for a further description of what we saw in chapter 11, in Psalm 11, when the foundations were being destroyed. Those two things are coming back to us as we read Psalm 12. Psalm 12, a Psalm of David. If you have a Bible, you can open to Psalm 12. I'm just gonna, we're just going to walk through that passage. We're going to read it in whole, and then we'll break it apart. And what we're going to find is there's some application right where you and I live today. Psalm 12, a Psalm of David, verse 1. Help, Lord. For no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbors. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? 
Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless. Like silver purified in a crucible. Like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and protect us forever from the wicked. Who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. There's a lot going on in that psalm. Every psalm packed full of stuff for us to sit with, think on, chew. No, no, no different here in Psalm 12. And I think what you'll notice right out of the bat, uh, right out of the gate, is that right here you see that thematic connection with Psalm 11. Now, rather than just talk to you about Psalm 11, let's just take a look at what we saw last week. Psalm 11, verse 2 and 3. Here's that description of how bad the situation is getting. The wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows. It's the upright in heart. And when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations are just crumbling. And now in Psalm 12, the scope of, of that destruction just gets expanded. Take a look. We'll take a look. Just one place in Psalm 12, verse 2. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They stir with lips but harbor deception in their hearts. When, when the world of Psalm 11, the foundations being destroyed, when that begins to happen, you then have a world where everyone lies to their neighbor. And then the last part of verse 2 but harbor deception in their hearts. Literally, there in the Hebrew, the, the literal translation is with a heart and a heart. With a heart and a heart. Literally, people say one thing and do another. They are, they're like a, a double-minded people. Nothing they say can be trusted. For what they say is not what they mean nor what they do. It's like having two people. With a heart and with a heart. That's what's underneath that. And so in short, the world has gotten so bad that the very thing that, that you would say to describe that world is that you can't believe anything someone says because no one's telling you the truth. One commentator says it like this. I just like the way he framed it. He puts Psalm 11 uh, inside the context. He says this, Those social and ethical foundations badly crumbling in Psalm 11, well, they've been obliterated in the religious world of Psalm 12. For no one is faithful anymore. Those who are, who are loyal have vanished from the human race. That's a bad place to be. And, and, and the way this begins to play out is people are using their words to abuse, to deceive, to trick, to scam. The words they use aren't what they actually mean. And they're using their words to create false realities. They speak delusions as if they are real. And they've come to the point to think that they are so powerful that their words can actually create reality. Even when it's a delusion. So I'll summarize it this way. I just want to take that and summarize it this way so we can just keep moving. Here's how I would say that describe the situation we're seeing play out in Psalm 12. People use their words to deceive and to boast. And they think their words will protect them. Because with their words, they think they can create new realities as if they were gods themselves. David says it this way in verse 4. This is how that began to play out in the psalm. Those who say, 
By our tongues we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? We will create realities with our words. We will make real even what is not real with our words. It is with our words we now have the power of God. Who else is Lord? We are Lord. In a contemporary way of, a way this begins to play out in our contemporary world, no surprise, it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter if you call a baby a fetus, it's always going to be a human being. I don't care what words you give it, it's a human being. It doesn't matter if you feel like a cat. It's actually pretty serious. I know it's funny, but it's actually pretty serious. It doesn't matter if you feel like a cat. You're a human being. And it doesn't matter if you feel like a girl. If there are certain parts of your body in place, you're a male. It doesn't matter what words you use. That's just true. We are living in a world today where we think we can use our words to create new realities. And in the end... That will fall flat like every other arrogant society has fallen in human history. The Lord is God over reality. And words mean something. And so in our contemporary world, this seems to hit pretty relevant, doesn't it? Because we're living in a world where we try to use words to create new realities. As if we are God. This is the kind of context. This is the kind of world David here is pinning this prayer. It's a world where the foundations seem to be crumbling, and now no one tells the truth, no one is faithful, and they're using their words to create delusions, and everyone's buying in. So what does David do in a world like that? He starts off the prayer with that answer. Verse 1 launches with help. Help, Lord. For no one is faithful in We might see that as maybe a request. Like that's something that that describes the language David's using. Actually, the word there is an imperative. It's actually a command. Literally, David's commanding God, help. A lot of other places you can go for help. Here David goes to the Lord. And he says, help. And the question is, is, like, why? Like, why would David go to the Lord? In a world where, where human words have no stability where human words are untrustworthy, where they are full of lies, why would David go to the Lord? And here's the contrast. Because in a world where human words are lies, unstable, not trustworthy, well, God's got a different thing going on. This is why David goes to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord for help. He says, Lord, you help me. Verse 6. The words of the Lord flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. In a world where people, human words are being used to, to spread, create delusions, David knows there's one place, there's one person who has words that are stable, trustworthy, true. That's the Lord. He has flawless words, pure words. There's no impurity in his words. What he says is what he means. This is where I'm going for help. In a world where everything else is unstable, I'm going to the one stable place where words are true. I go to the Lord. Oh, Lord, help me. 
and everywhere else is unstable. But your word is flawless. And what is God's words? Like, literally, like, what would God be saying? Here, David actually has quoted some of these very words of God. In a world that's wicked, where bad things are happening, he's got to lean on something, and he leans in on those flawless words of God. And what are those words? He just quoted them in verse 5, where the Lord said, Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. David looks out and he doesn't see a lot of hope. A lot of bad things. Everybody's words seem to say the right thing, but nothing is actually true. It's a bunch of smoke and mirrors. Everything seems to be sand. Nothing's stable. But the Lord has spoken. There will be justice. And David, he will grab on to those words. That's why he goes to the Lord for help, because the Lord has spoken flawless words. Words. None of the deception that are in human words. And so here's the contrast. Just as in Psalm 11 there was a contrast, here in Psalm 11, the contrast. Put it up on the screen just so we can see it pretty clearly. There are human words which are deceitful and temporary. There are God's words which are flawless and eternal. Quick note on the human words. Psalm 12 talks about the human words being lies. In Proverbs, we don't have this on the screen, in Proverbs, the writer says, lies last only for a moment. Why do lies have to last? Why do lies only last for a moment? Because they're not true. And only true things stay stable. Only true things last. And so when you spin a lie, guess what you've got to do to keep the lie going? Spin another one. And then, so that one doesn't die, you got to spin another one. Because lies only last for a short amount of time. And so you've got to keep spinning the lies. It's why our world is full of words. It's why the academy, it's why the ivory towers, those that are spreading delusion, and not every ivory tower, but many in our society, the Harvards and the Yales, many in these places are spreading delusion, and they use lots and lots of words. And if you ever read some of these words, sometimes they don't make sense. And you might think you're dumb because you don't understand what they're saying. No, you're not dumb. They don't know what they're saying. They are spreading lies. And so why do you have to keep publishing more and more articles to keep the lie going? Because the article only lasts for a moment. And so you have to keep spinning, keep spinning, and keep spinning. They're deceitful and they're temporary. But truth, it'll stand the test of time. God's flawless words go into eternity. They never fade. We tell the truth. If you don't, you'll be busy spinning lie after lie after lie because you'll have to. Here's the contrast. Human words, God's words. And so in the midst of a world where words are being used to deceive, trick, scam, They're not exactly what they seem. This is where passive-aggressive behavior comes in. This is where tricky tricky, uh, and loose language comes in. In a world where that that has spread through society, David says, I'm calling out to the Lord because He has flawless words. Is it any surprise that later in the Psalms, David's going to take this meditation on God's holy word and he's just going to expand it? 
And we're going to get there eventually. But I couldn't help but bring it to us now. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, where David just hits this meditation, this proclamation of praise on God's holy word. He says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Well, the precepts of the Lord, well, they're right. They're giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord, they're firm. And they're all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. I love this one. They are sweeter than honey. Than honey from the comb. By them, by God's words, your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You want a good life? You stick with what is stable, trustworthy, and true. That's God's word. That's going to warn you. It's going to keep you from danger, and it's going to bring great reward. And where'd that word come from? Not yourself. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It has everything to do with what God has said and who He is, and it comes from outside of ourselves to us. That is God's grace and God's grace alone. You did nothing for it. You do nothing to sustain it. It is from Him. And what a blessing. Psalm 119, verse 105, this famous line, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. You know what happens when you don't have a light on your path? You run into things. You stub your toe. You say words you shouldn't. I just wanted to bring a picture up for you that we've all had when you have no light. The Bible gives you light. Is it any surprise? Is it any surprise then that the book of Psalms actually opens with this very theme? Psalm 1, 1 through 3, it opens this way. This thing we just studied many weeks ago. Blessed. Word there is actually happy. Is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Well, that person is like a tree. Planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. A tree. A tree that can take any set of, any set of condition, weather conditions. It's a tree that can go through drought, get hit by a storm. It is stable. What kind of person is that? The kind of person that delights in the law and the, in the law of the Lord. And what kind of what, why, why would that make you stable? Because it's truth. It's eternal. It's firm. It's a light. So when David hits this world and looks out into a world where the foundations are crumbling, a world where words actually don't mean what they say, where people are tricky, full of scams, deception. You don't know who to trust. No one's faithful. David says, God, I command you, help me. Because you alone have flawless words. I need something stable in a world that's crumbling. It's your word, your word alone that I will stand on. That's, that's what we see in Psalm 12. And man, does it have some application for our life right now i got one question I'm asking coming out of Psalm 12. Really, just one question. 
There were many, there were a million directions I wanted to go in application, but I just kept coming to this one question. And from that question, we'll just unpack it a little bit. One question. It's this. Whose words am I paying attention to? Whose words am I paying attention to? Our world is full of words. I mean, with, with the advent of the internet, we have more words flying around in any one culture or one, any one society than we've ever had. You thought it was bad when the printing press was, was invented 500 years ago? We're in a world where we have more words available to us than ever before. We have words that we can listen to, words we can read, words in short form, long form. We have words everywhere. And we've gotten so tired of words, we now use just images. We just, we just like use images to communicate. We have so many ways of communicating, so many words. Who are you listening to? Here's the thing I know. When I'm listening to the wrong set of words, they have a way of spilling out of me when I'm shaken. Right? You and I are going to fill up on something. And at some point, you're going to spill out. Let me say it this way. Just use that same language. I want to say it concisely and drive us to a, a very practical point. We will overflow with whatever fills us up. So if we take, all we do is take in news, politics, sports, or social media memes. I'm not just saying social media. I want to press in on those memes that are so witty and funny. When you fill up on those, that's what will spill out of us, especially when you're shaking. So if all you do is fill up on politics, which is full of lots of frustration and anger, you better bet you're going to spill out frustration and anger. If all you do is fill up on sports, you're going to spill out probably with stats and facts. You're going to spill out, you're going to overflow whatever you put in. And when we're putting in, this is the other thing, when we're putting in all that other stuff, we are never challenged. Have, have you ever been watching ESPN and and the host of SportsCenter ever challenged you on how you talked to your spouse that day? Never. Never. I've never had an ESPN host challenge the way I talk in my house. Never. Have you ever had a social media meme ever convict you to the point of repentance from the way that you have been treating someone at work? Ever? No. If anything, you'll laugh at something about someone at work. You see, it is God's Word and God's Word alone that can drive down into the heart and bring conviction and repentance. We need God's Word because without it, we are formed in every other way but the way of righteousness. I need God's Word because I need to be challenged. I need to be convicted. I need to repent because my words are not always truthful. They're not always stable. And I'm not always... I don't always know when I'm, when I'm being untruthful. I need God's Word as a lamp unto my feet. So when I'm putting into my mind politics and sports and memes and weather or whatever it is, I am being formed and shaped by everything but what makes us right. So we need God's Word. Oh, whose words are you listening to? Really? Like, I mean, this isn't complicated. If you took, if took the hours in your day... What are you listening to? What are you reading? 
I want to be the person that is so full of Scripture that when I get shaken, Bible comes out. And I don't just mean I'm quoting Scripture. I mean, I mean that, that my language becomes formed in the likeness of the Scriptures. So I literally am thinking like the Bible. Like, I want to become that kind of person. And I am definitely not there. I just read this week, someone, uh, it was this long article on how to read more books. And it came down to this one point. You want to know how you read more books? Just so you know, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. You need to read more. Like, seriously. That's a profound thought. Like, I think what is happening is, what we're doing is we're trying to figure out the shortcut to read more books. The, re- the way you read more books is you read more books. Yeah. If I want more Bible inside of me, there's no shortcut. I have to read more Scripture. i got to memorize Scripture. I need to be around God's people while I'm hearing the spoken Word of God proclaimed. Like, there's just not a shortcut. I wish there was. There's just no microwave for this. I caught a vision. I caught a vision for where I want to be recently in a book that I was reading. This one I was listening to. And it's a book uh, about the famous British preacher from the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon. Some of you might uh, know of him. Spurgeon in his autobiography said this, and he said it in particular about a Puritan that lived about 200 years before. This Puritan, John Bunyan, wrote a book, some of you may have heard of it, The Pilgrim's Progress. In early America, it was, it was on the top seller's list. You'd have the Bible and you'd have the Pilgrim's Progress in your home. So Spurgeon has something to say about John Bunyan, but in what he describes, it's a vision for the kind of person I want to be, and I'm hoping I'm passing this vision on to you too. Here's what Spurgeon says. It is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language. And your very style is fashioned upon Scripture models. And what is better still? Your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what I mean. Read anything of his, and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He cannot give us his pilgrim's progress without continually making us feel and say, Why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, and you will find that his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows through him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his soul is full of the Word of God. I am not there yet. Very, very far from it. But I want to be the kind of person that when you prick me, I bleed. Now, this doesn't mean some awkward moment where you come to me, you're hitting, you've hit a very difficult life situation, and all I do is just quote you Scripture, you know, like, as, as, in some impersonal way. No, what I mean is, is that literally my life is framed by the Scriptures. One friend of mine said it recently this way, we look out into our lives, just walking. I mean, literally, just think about getting up, going to work, and we are making decisions through the filter of Scripture. I mean, literally, just everyday decisions get thrown through the filter of the Bible. You can't have the filter of the Bible unless you have the Bible inside you. I want my mind 
to overflow with Scripture so that my life spills out. A Scripture-full life. That's the kind of life David is pursuing. He didn't always get it right. I want that kind of life. And it just so happens we're living in a world where it really sometimes does feel like the foundations of society are crumbling. Where what people say and what is reality never match. In a world like this, I need to be full of what is stable, rooted, true. I imagine you do too. So, what would the next step look like here? Like, what, would, what, what can we do practically to just help us begin? To, to, to begin a process where we are simply just aware that the Scripture is stable and not those other words from all the other humans. Oh, I'm so excited about this one. I think all of us can do it. Unless you don't have a TV. Then, we'll, let's talk. We'll figure out something else for you. Here it is. Next step. Put a physical Bible near your TV where you will see it while watching. Now listen, I'm not saying you need to pick up the Bible. I'm not saying you need to open the Bible. I'm not saying you're watching your favorite show and you're like, oh, I feel guilty. I better pause it and go open the Bible because the preacher said I have to read the Bible like all the time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm thinking here is by putting a physical object in your line of sight, it will remind you that even though you're enjoying that show, God's Word is what is stable. It's just simply, it's simply, this is just simply one thing we can do to train the mind to remember what is real, what is stable and true. So turn on the news, watch your show, but keep the Bible in your line of sight. And I believe God will do something with that. Now, I would encourage you at some point to actually pick up that Bible, open it, okay? Now, if you read primarily on a digital device, you still, physical Bible, that's what we're talking about here. So if you don't have a physical Bible at home, grab one in, in the pew. We have a million Bibles. They're like in storage. So please take one. Uh, like, let it be your reminder Bible. We'll fill the pews back up, okay? Um, take a physical Bible, and may it be a reminder. And I'm saying TV because the TV is a place where lots of words come through. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It is flawless. It is firm. It is holy and pure. Would you help us? As we lean in on what is stable, when we lose hope, when we hit sadness, when we face struggles, when we are angry, when we are depressed, we want to stand on what is firm for our feelings are not. Our world does not have a stable foundation. So would you help us? And maybe, just maybe, by your spirit, we become people who when pressed bleed the body. And so now we go into the rest of our service. We thank you. We thank you for your word that has come to us by grace. And all of it, we praise you in the name of Christ.